welcome to episode three of the Bucketless Gamer podcast. As always, I'm Jay and I'm joined by Eddie. Hi there. And today we are discussing number 60 in Retro Gamer's 100 Games to Play Before You Die, which is Mass Effect 2. I think before we dive into 2, it's probably worth covering 1, because it, it that isn't in the list. Neither is 3, which is slightly less surprising. But 1 isn't in there either, and 1 does set up 2. You can't really have 1 without the other. It's not like some games where you can dive straight into a, a sequel, such as Resi 4 or something, where you wouldn't really need the backstory. It's kind of integral in this one. So we'll cover off Mass Effect 1 first, which... I didn't love the first time I played Mass Effect 1. I can't even remember where. I, got. I think I bought it because I wanted to play 2. This was like at the point 3 was coming out and I, I was late to the series. Scene 2 looked pretty good, but I was told that I had to play 1, so I bought a cheap copy of it and it took me quite a while to, to get into it. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm with you on that one. The only reason I picked up Mass Effect 1 was because I nipped into a game shop and they had like a bargain bin, one of those little wire bins at the front of the store, and they had the collector's edition in there. So it was like metal hard case with like a plastic oversleeve on it. And it was something stupid, like six quid. So I, I just looked at it, turned it over, saw that it was by Bioware and knew that they'd done um, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic. And I was like, ooh. That, that is, this looks like my bread and jam. So I, I bought it, turned it on, played it, and for the first half hour, didn't really like it. I think it's just slow, isn't it, in the first, it's story building, which is necessary, but it's even, it, it chucks you practically straight into combat, I think, doesn't it? But even that is, there's a lot of roaming around and talking and exposition, which is needed. But I've I've recommended it to friends and they've not been able to get past that because they just want to jump straight into some action and it doesn't have that. Yeah, and I think it's how uh, how Bioware have approached it as an RPG because it's essentially what it is. It's a space RPG at the end of the day. And if you compare it to the likes of Oblivion and Skyrim where you do kind of get a little bit of story and exposition at the beginning and then you get dungeon there you go off you pop whereas mass effect is like you say you get a little you just get pinged into a little bit of combat which it was like the origin area of sort of um cover combat Mm. which gears of war built on um but its cover mechanics weren't great and it was really lousy at explaining the biotic powers so like you're your little quick select wheel and how to change weapons and things like that. It was really lousy at explaining it. So if you were just wanting like a run and gun shooter, uh, you were you were in for a bad time, really, because <laughs> it's not what the game's about. Not one anyway. No, it's it's much more heavily. The whole series is much more heavily built on relationship building and upgrading and all that aspect, like you say, of an RPG with an action side of it, not tacked on because it is fundamental to it as well. And it, they have implemented it fairly well. I, like, I don't like the cover mechanic in it. it. It's not clunky, but it's easy to dive out of cover when you don't mean to and, and put yourself in the line of fire. And sometimes it doesn't register snapping into cover and, and that kind of thing. And, and I've always had that issue with it, but it's good enough that you can get through and it's quite lenient on lives and refilling your energy and and that kind of thing isn't it so it's not ever really a problem you do die quite a bit on it but it, it respawns you practically where you've just died doesn't it? it there's not an awful lot of backtracking but i agree yeah the, the cover system in particular and, and when you get thrown into that first mission you need to dive into cover quite a lot and it doesn't really give you the the full rundown of how to do it so it picks up i think the first one I don't like the the driving bits, which got removed for number two in the Mako, which we've just briefly discussed before we started recording. It was all right, like fighting the big sandworm, but there was vast expanses of some planets where you're just driving around searching for something on a map, and it's just got a bit boring and samey, didn't it? Yeah, um, I, th- I think if they'd gone with it and kept it in two, but they'd actually put some focus into it and made the worlds more open and more... Because it was essentially a little mini sandbox that it dropped you into with about four points of interest across each corner of the map. And you were expected to drive through vast swathes of bugger all just to get to this thing to scan it for it to give you a little bit of a resource or some um, some sort of background info 
and universe building and i went right there you go you've enjoyed that now back to the uh, back to the normandy and that, and that was it whereas they did they brought it back in andromeda uh, the fourth game in the series that nobody really wants to admit is part of the series and they did it better but unfortunately the rest of andromeda was absolutely awful <laughs> It's one I've avoided, even on because it's on Game Pass on like well EA Access, and I've still I've installed it. I've never actually played it, and yeah, it's it's not one that's drawing me in immediately. But I, what did they replace the Mako stuff within two? It's like uh, you scan planets, don't you? You do, yeah. You don't actually involve any sort of action. It's more like a little HUD thing, isn't it? Where you pick a planet, scan it, drill into it, get some resources, and then move on. So they've they've diminished that bit, but it's still there, sort of. But in in doing that, they made it really boring in two mm. because you literally scan the planet and you literally get like a little ping on your map, and you have to scroll all the way across the planet, slowly rotating it till you get over the like the echolocation dot you then launch a probe which have like a stock limit on them so you launch a probe it then gives you some resources and i think you get like 30 probes to start with you then if you run out you then have to stop doing what you're doing go and build some more probes come back and start the planet scanning again so they took the maker which was crap and they made it boring instead of crap yeah, I did. To be fair, I didn't mind it, but I like that kind of thing. Like in Jurassic World Evolution, where you have to send search parties out to research fossils and stuff. It is very. It's just clicking around a, a set of menus, and it's probably quite boring for a lot of people. But I enjoy that, especially if you scan the planet and you've got something better than the bog standard minerals or whatever you were searching for. I quite like that mechanic, but it, it is more boring than driving around in a little car, which was in turn rubbish in the first place. So. Maybe it was something. I, I don't know what they did in three. Did they incorporate anything in three, or did they scrap it all together? I think you just scanned the planet. So you went to your like your um, solar system map. You went into one of the little subsystems within it, um, and you then scanned a map, uh, scanned the solar system itself. It then popped up to say which planets had materials on it. You sort of flew over. It then took you into that planet like an overview of it you scanned it and it gave you the resources and that was it so they took out the probes so they simplified it even more it makes you wonder why they didn't just take it out altogether and just hide the resources in the action stages yeah in crates or something it would have been much easier wouldn't it but the story in one i think is is the important bit isn't it one exists purely for two to exist so it it doesn't overburden you with a lot of action a lot of it is the storyline to prepare you for two which is then a good balance between the two and then i think three goes a bit wild with too much admin this is like the war map and planning all that and and i just couldn't get into that as much as i did in in the second one yeah and like you say i think i think one was one without one you wouldn't have a rest of the series to be honest with you because it builds up the characters so well so you become really, really attached to it. And like you alluded to earlier, you have like friendship mechanics um, and your Paragon and your Renegade. And you lose people all along the way in the first game. And some of it, you, you just sit there going, you literally pause at the moment of decision between whose side to take. Because you just think, I, I don't, because there's a particular, there's one scenario in particular on, I think it's Vermeer where you get a choice between Ashley and Rex. Yeah. Because Rex, there's something to do with the genophage to do on Vermeer, and the genophage is the thing that's been killing Rex's people, essentially sterilising them. And Rex goes a little bit berserk about the fact that we're not prioritising solving the genophage. Ashley steps in, and to be fair with you, Ashley is a bit of a cow. So... (laughs) And and you have to make the decision. I mean, if you have your Paragon or your Renegade high enough, you can calm the situation down. But in mine, when I wasn't, when I was just playing through it, and I wasn't sure what the Paragon and the Renegade sort of built up to, I lost Rex as part of it. And Rex is amazing. Yeah, my favourite support character, I think, in the first one. And the characters carry over, which I think was an, an in pretty much one of the first console games to do it. 
I think there's two that carry over to the extent you can have them as backup again, isn't there? But the others are still in the world if they survive yeah. the first game. So, yeah, stuff that happens in one. If you play on the same console, it will read your first game save data, won't it? And, and carry it on however you finish the game with those same relationships to an extent. And certainly the people still existing in the world or not existing in the world, as it were which I like. I love that sort of continuity to it. And I think they even fixed it, didn't they, for if you hadn't played the first game or you played it on a different console, you got a few selections at the beginning to like choose your route. Was that in one to two or was that in two to three? Yeah, yeah, that was in both. Um, So it gave you like a little comic strip sort of thing that was like, uh, that sort of talked you through the story of the first one and got you to make the choices. It was binary, so you saved one or the other. So you didn't have Max Paragon or Max Renegade. You just chose which one to save, um, and it carried that save over. But like like I say, I think that's pretty revolutionary for consoles anyway, because I get that they did it with a lot of PC games where you had Mm. continuous saves between, like, might and magic you got if you played might and yeah. magic five and you made story decisions it passed into six etc but for a console game that, that was literally unheard of yeah there was the odd game wasn't there that if you'd played the preview or like i think on playstation one if you got a save file from a different game it potentially unlocked something in a, another game but it was very sort of few and far between that, that that happened and it certainly wasn't to the extent that it would affect the new game that you were playing so in depth and and like you say there's parts in well i think all three of them certainly one and two where you have to make a decision between two people that you've built up affection for in your team and it does it quite a lot and unless you've built your paragon or um, renegades up you tend to have to lose one or at least lose the because in the second one you get the trust missions don't you where you can build up a higher rapport with with certain characters which comes into the end game when when you get to the final mission. And you can lose those if two of them start bickering and you can't defuse the situation. You just have to pick one or the other. And it's quite hard to do it if it's two characters, especially if it's two characters that you really care for. Like there's some that I really don't like in two and I don't have much time for. But if it's two characters that you've built quite a rapport with, and especially if it's the two that you use as backup to lose one of their... Because do they get slightly increased stats when you've done their trust mission? Uh, you get increased stats and you get like a bonus, either you get a bonus weapon or you get like a bonus biotic power or something like that, depending on how well you've done in the mission. So I think Garrus gets like a, a supreme s- sniper rifle. And I think I think Garrus is pretty much by default everyone's favourite sub-character, really. <laughs> I do usually go with Garrus. I was looking through them earlier on and, and because it's been a while since I've played it start to finish, I've had a little dabble this week just to refresh my memory. I think I always went with Garrus or uh, certainly Grunt if I needed like pure power. And then the sniper guy that comes into it a little bit later on. I forget his name, the assassin. Oh, uh, Fane. Yeah, I used to go with him quite a lot because he's, he's, he doesn't talk too much, which I like because some of them don't shut up, do they? And then, yeah, Jack was always my other, if I needed like a, a biotic person, I'd put her yeah. straight into the team. So... It lets you chop and change for what you need in certain missions, doesn't it, as well? So we're jumping all over a bit. But yeah, the character mechanics are you build up a crew and you can take two of the crew with you each time you go out into a combat situation. And they all have their own strengths and weaknesses. So Garrus is sort of a long-range attack. Rex in the first game and Grunt in the second game just plough in and a sort of brute force and a, a bit of a bullet sponge. And then you've got people like Jack and Talia... She's not a biotic, is she? Yeah, Talia's Talia's is. a biotic, but you also get um the Asari, uh the blue one. that I can't remember her name. She was the one I was thinking of. Samara, isn't it? Yes, because you get Liara in the first first Mass Effect, and yeah, she she is in the second and third one, but she's like side quest sort of involvement. Is she the one that ends up being the club boss, or is that someone else? Yeah, she. Uh, no, she ends up being the shadow broker, essentially. So That's the it. shadow broker is this cabal leader who lives on the edge of known space, just collating data from everywhere. And Liara ends up being that guy after you take the original one down. She becomes a bit nasty, I think, in, in parts of it, doesn't she? Sort of a bit cutthroat. She becomes very ruthless, yeah. 
And then you can you can also get more in if you choose to kill Samara, can't you? Which is one of the harsher parts of the game. Yeah, and and then you get the optional side quest with Morinth, who is I cannot remember the description. Uh, Arda Yakshi, she is, which is a supremely powerful member of her species, um, and they essentially go a bit psychotic. As part of the game, you also have a romance side quest, so you can choose which members of your crew to romance, and it's quite diverse. You can choose to romance male characters if you're a male character yourself, or female characters, so it's quite open. It's not very rigid to you're a male character and you have to romance the females. You can romance whoever the hell you like, and you can, if you choose to romance Morinth, um, you two bump uglies, and she kills you in the process, and it actually gives you a game over for it. Um, because she literally absorbs the energy from you while you're doing it. So yeah, I never got that one. I I never went the route of killing Samara because this is a thing in these games, and it it affects a lot of games that I play, like some of the wrestling games, Hogwarts Legacy, that kind of thing. I always start the game and think, right, I'm just going to be horrible. I'm in it for myself and no one else. And then when it comes to doing them, I can't bring myself to do it. And I end up either middling right down the middle, which for this, for Mass Effect, is a really bad thing to do. Because if you don't build up one side or another, you lose so many like dialogue checks and the ability to sort out disputes or get past checks where normally you'd have to do other bits of missions, but you can charm people and that kind of thing. So going that right down the middle is the worst thing you can do. You sort of have to pick... I want to be a good guy, I'm going to be a bad guy and stick with it no matter what. And I either end up being right down the middle because I can't bring myself to do all those horrible things or I end up being a paragon, which is boring. But it's how it always goes. No matter how many runs I do, I start like, I'm going to be a renegade this run. And by about the fourth decision, I'm the nice guy again and I can't do it. And I really need to get past that and play one run through where I am just horrible and see how it works because I've not seen a lot of the the negative dialogue because I just can't do it. I'm just too nice, evidently. Uh, yeah, um, I agree with you with that one because I I got the remastered versions on the PS4 when they redid them. I mean, the, the difference is not amazing. I'll be honest with you, the difference between graphics quality wasn't great. But you got all the DLC for free, and it was three games in one. It was a good-looking game anyway, though. They all were, weren't oh, they? Yeah. They were always good-looking. So to remaster them wasn't going to make a massive amount of difference, like you say. The, the Some of the shots when the Normandy's coming in to land on, on certain planets just look fantastic to say it was Xbox 360, PS3 graphics when it first came out. Yeah. Was it 20, 2009? Uh, 2010, the second one. Okay. And it was, well, it was 2011 for PlayStation because it was a, a Microsoft exclusive for a year, which yeah. you forget that even used to happen. You very rarely see it these days. If something's an exclusive now, it stays exclusive, doesn't it? Back then you used to get stuff that was, we'll have it for a year and then we might let you have a go on it further down the line if you're on the opposite console. Yeah, I find I find that sort of concept bizarre anyway, the uh, timed exclusive. Um, it, it just seems like companies halving their potential income on a product. For the first year, yeah. Yeah. Because there's, there's not many games that would push you to buy a console, I wouldn't thought, if you've already got the other console. If you decide in between the two, maybe you'd go, well, PlayStation has the better exclusive, so I'm going to get a PlayStation. But if you've already got a PlayStation and Mass Effect 2 comes out on Xbox, I doubt there are many people out there that ran out and bought an Xbox just so they could play Mass Effect 2 a year earlier than than they could get it. It, it like you say, it doesn't make sense to me either. But there must there must be a, a profit in it somewhere else. They wouldn't do it, would they? I also find it bizarre that Microsoft did that with Bioware because PlayStation didn't get Mass Effect One until after Mass Effect 2 had been released, then they retroactively ported it across, which I just find bizarre. So all the PlayStation 2 owners were like, oh, you've got this timed exclusive that's going to be on Xbox 360 for the next year, uh, but you get it in a year, and everyone for PlayStation just went, great, because we've not played the first one, so why would we play <laughs> the second one? Why would we be that bothered? And like I said earlier on, normally that might not be too much of a problem, but in this series it is. 
if you picked up Mass Effect 2 and just started playing it, you wouldn't have a clue what was going on. It does a semi-decent job of filling in the gaps, but there's so much lore around the Collectors and the Reapers and all that kind of thing. You have to have absorbed a lot of the first game, I think, to really get it. I mean, I've played the first game and there's still bits of it that I don't know or follow when I've been playing the second one and I have to really jog my memory to, to trigger it. So I couldn't imagine playing the second one just fresh and being like, well, what, what's a collector? What's a reaper? Who are all these characters? What's Cerberus? It's just a lot of a lot of stuff to take in from the first game that you need to. But I think that we've talked about the first one a bit, so I think we should get into more of the second one and what we're actually meant to be talking about on, the, on this episode. Uh, so the second one starts with a little video package of a couple of months after the first one where the the Normandy gets into a bit of trouble and and gets smashed up doesn't it and you well you're tight the titular character is called, always called Shepherd you can give him or her a first name can't you to match your own but they've they've made the decision to have a, a fixed surname so that everyone in the world can speak it which makes sense so you don't get a generic create a character and everyone refers to them as they or him or her or that kind of thing. Everyone calls him or her Shepherd and it makes it more immersive. So you get Shepherd pushing Joker, the pilot of the Normandy into an escape pod, the last one, and sacrificing himself. Dying, which was a bit of a shock when you first booted it up and, and the main character dies and you sort of think, oh, I'm going to have to play as someone else now. Is this the route it's going? But no, Cerberus, who are the bad guys in the first one. Yep. Aside from the Reapers and all that kind of thing, which comes later, they're the bad guys of the first one. Rescue Shepard's corpse and reanimate it somehow. And not enslave you, but you sort of beholden to working for them for that point, aren't you? So you end up working for who were the bad guys, who are still not the best people in the world, but you're on their, their payroll and working for... What's he called? He doesn't have a name, does he? The Elusive Man. The Elusive Man, who shows up in... What What would you call those? Like hologram suites? Yeah, and, essentially. And passes on information and missions to you. But it is not rinse and repeat of the first game, but it is. there's one main mission, and then all the rest of it is you going around forging relationships, putting a crew together to take on the Reapers, who are fast becoming more of a presence in the galaxy than they were in the first one. Yeah, um, <laughs> the beginning, is, it, it does shock you when you're first loading. You're like, oh, yes, going to play the second uh, instalment of this thing I really like with this main character that I've carried with me the entire way. And like you say, you rescue your pilot, you then get blown out of the side of the ship, you then suffocate because your suit's got a, a puncture in it, and you then enter the atmosphere of a planet and burn up on a non-reentry. <laughs> so it's not a particularly pleasant death. You're not just bang dead. You literally suffocate and then burn all the way down to the planet's surface. Um, and like you say, you get rebuilt and you find yourself waking up, I think it's like 30 years later, something like that, 20, 30 years later, and you, yeah, you are essentially working for this right-wing uh, pro-human extremist group because um, out of everyone in the galaxy, the humanity isn't particularly popular. All the other races have been spacefaring for centuries and humanity is the latest group of people to the table, basically. And we've done what we always do, which is to walk in thinking we know everything, stick a flag in the ground and go... All right, guys, we're here now. Um, you, you best all listen to what we have to say. And everyone just sort of looks at you and goes, no, no, I, I don't think so. <laughs> this lady can tear you apart from the inside with her mind. This thing's a walking tank that can puree you if it decides to charge at you. And there's just f hundreds of races that are just infinitely better equipped uh, to be in the galaxy than you are. And, yeah, so that's Cerberus's job is to be pro-humanity and make them a, a force to be reckoned with in the galaxy. I didn't realise that it jumped ahead so many years in between the two. I may be getting it wrong, but I'm pretty sure it is It is a jump because of how long it takes for them to get the funding and how long it takes for them to essentially regrow you. Because hmm. um, you are just with all the other characters. 
still being in it. But then I'm, I suppose they other racers don't age the same way as we age, so maybe that's how it's explained. Because I think, yeah, there must yeah. be a, a gap, isn't there? Because um, Rex is like, isn't he like the leader of their whole of race Krogans. by that point? Yeah, he's like, a, he's ascended to, to being a leader. And I got really excited when I found him and thought, oh, I'm going to sort of get the band back together again with Rex. And then he won't come with you, will he? And you end up with Grunt, who is the same character, pretty much, just in a blue shell instead of a red shell. But it was a bit annoying when when I couldn't recruit him, especially because you can recruit two others. So Garrus is one, isn't he? And is it Talia that's the other one? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So they're your two that you can get back if you had them in the first game. And then everyone else is new, but very similar to somebody who was in the first game. Uh, So Miranda is Ashley, I would say. Yeah. Or Because in the first one, you don't have to pick Ashley, do you? There's two at the very start and you you save one and kill the other is that right um you you get two well one's human but he's got sort of like biomechanical parts to him mm. and that's Caden and about halfway through the game after you've done the choice between Ashley and Rex uh, you also have to choose between Ashley and Caden as well so one mission and you lose two members i'm misremembering yeah i thought that happened right away but it is further into it isn't it but I, I always picked Ashley, I think, on the couple of playthroughs I did. So she she carries on into the second one, but not as a playable character, but she's about, isn't she, I think? Yeah. So, yeah, that's just an example of if, if you didn't pick her in the first game, then that would change the second one. Not drastically, because they tend to play the same role as the other person would have done on who you saved and who you got rid of when it gets to the point where they're not involved in two. But... Yeah, a lot of the the characters you get, Jack, um, from like a prison planet, and she's quite out there, isn't she? But again, like you said, all these characters are, you can build up a trust with them, you can build up a romance with them, I think most of them anyway. There's a couple, I think, where you can't romance them, isn't there, no matter what gender you are. But yeah. the majority of, of the, shall we say, compatible, in inverted commas, races that you end up with, you can end up in a romantic relationship with, which does it actually give you anything or is it purely for extra cutscenes and that kind of thing, an extra dialogue? Extra cutscenes and an achievement, although the extra cutscenes are uh, what's earned Mass Effect and Mass Effect 2 massive kickback from the non-game playing community because there's always that game in inverted commas. In some years, it's like Grand Theft Auto, in some years, it's condemned. It's the be all and end all. I think Pokemon even got it at one time when they were like accusing Pokemon of essentially promoting Satanism by summoning monsters and stuff like that. But yeah, Mass Effect, the year it was released, got a massive backlash because there is a. It, it, it's like two seconds of essentially side boob. And of alien side boot, and you don't see anything. There's no full on nudity. That it's quite, in terms of video games and sci fi, tastefully done. But yeah, that got it such a large amount of kickback um, for just a bit of a romancing option. Whereas Grand Theft Auto, you can beat people to death with their own legs. No one, but well, people did bat an eyelid, didn't they? But it's yeah. that seems to have calmed down a bit more these days. Until until you get somebody who does something stupid, and the parents or somebody else blame it. Oh, they play games all the time, so that must have had an influence. Not looking at the other, God knows how many million that play games and don't go out and shoot someone or rob somewhere or anything like that. But that's I'm sure that's a discussion we'll have, which has been done to death everywhere else. But I'm sure we'll do it at some point. But back to Mass Effect 2, I think it was, like we said earlier on, the right balance between your story building, your relationship building, RPG mechanics, and action this time. There seems to be a, there's quite a bit more. There's a lot of side quests to do, and there's a lot of just random planets to land on and shoot up and find a little bit of resource or a new gun or or something like that. There's You never lost for something to do in that game right the way through it, whether it's main missions, side quests, or just find a planet and find 
and see if there's anything worth having on it. And sometimes there isn't. And you spend 20 minutes shooting up a planet and you get nothing from it worth having. But then sometimes you might find a new gun or a new piece of armor that's that's better than what you've got and then it makes it worthwhile so it was one that i played through twice in really quick succession because i got to the last mission and i messed it up massively and i didn't really understand what i'd done and and what i hadn't done couldn't be fixed by reloading a save because it was it to, to get that last mission 100% spot on, you have to have made some very key decisions all the way through the game, don't you? It can't be fixed in 10 minutes before you start that mission. If you've messed up a relationship with someone, that last mission's not going to go how you want it to go. So I played it twice, still didn't get the perfect ending, but I got a much better ending than the one I got the first time around. But I think it just speaks volumes to how good it was that I could play through what is, what, a 20-hour game, I'd say, if you want to get get everything out of it. The fact I could play through that twice in a row within a, a matter of months, I think, sort of stands testament to how good it is. Um, yeah, it is. It is. And I, I'm pretty much the same because I played it through the first time, may, didn't make the right choices at some points, despite the fact that I'd played Mass Effect 1 and I knew what I was doing, but I hadn't maxed out my Paragon or my Renegade and I failed to upgrade the ship and yeah, it, it didn't go quite as well as I was hoping. So I I did, like you say, I ended up replaying it almost straight after to make the right choices and m- maximize what uh, my output for the last suicide mission. And it is called that for a very good reason, uh, the suicide mission, because uh, you're essentially going to face the collectors who are an alien race, who are subservient to the reapers, who are really weird spindly insect things that are collecting, as the name would suggest, humanity for an unknown purpose. And they are literally taking full planets of people and the people are just disappearing. The collectorship appears in the sky. Everyone panics. The, the entire population of a planet disappears and no one knows what's going on. So that's why you're brought in to sort of find out what the collectors are up to and put a stop to it. It's a strange one, isn't it? Because the Reapers are the, the big bad for the whole three games. But they're also the reason that humans are in space in the first place. Because the humans utilise their technology to use those mass relays to actually get out into space. So even though they're the bad guys... They've opened up humanity to a, a lot more than they would have known, but are still the ones that are then going around and, and snuffing it out again, or allegedly snuffing it out. You, as, a, as you said, you don't really know what they're up to. You just know it looks pretty bad from the outside. And yeah, to talk about the suicide mission, which is the last mission, the whole way through the game you're preparing for this last mission and you don't always know it but you are so you can upgrade your ship to be more resilient and have better weapons and that kind of thing I think from from memory Yep. and you're upgrading your crew by finding new people so you've got an assassin that joins the crew, you've got a doctor that joins the crew who's also quite handy with a gun you've got an ex, well a current criminal really but that you break out of a prison ship. You've got an Asari, you've got Talia, who always has a mask on, so you don't actually know what she looks like, do you, until is there one point in the game where she takes it off? If you, like, romance yeah. her. Yeah, yeah. So that's one of the reasons that you would go down that romance route, is if you actually want to see what she looks like. But, yeah, there's this whole crew of people that you put together, and in the last mission they all come in and play their own part, but it's up to you to decide what their part is. So through the game, you'll learn what they're good at and what their traits are and where best they might be placed for this last mission. You go through a load of dialogue options, don't you, to to assign people to certain tasks. So someone has to scrabble through some air vents and, and unlock some uh, doors or turn some power on or something like that. Somebody has to provide cover and fight. Somebody has to come with you and try and... And, and get into somewhere that you can't get into and all that kind of thing. And the game expects you to know who to put in what role by the way you interacted with them up until that point. And if you put somebody in the wrong role, they're probably going to die. So you have not only have to have gotten them all on side and, and upgraded your ship, but then you have to know how to utilize them. 
and not die yourself when running around blasting enemies and, and bosses and that kind of thing. So it all culminates into what is a brilliant mission at the end. And again, we said it last week with Majora's Mask, Quite can be quite emotional when it comes down to it because you know you're sending these people who you've spent 18 hours building up a relationship with to potentially their deaths. And in some cases it is, unless you've really smashed it and got everybody in the right place at the right time. So I think it's... It's really well done, that last mission. I can't think of many last missions in games. I think one of the Saints Row games had a really good last mission, bit of a different genre and, and the way it plays out, but I think there's a mission in that where you have to choose to save someone or take down the like big bad of the game. And I remember getting the sort of same vibe from that as I did for the last mission in Mass Effect 2 because it is just this epic, huge probably takes you about half an hour just to get through that mission on its own and then you get the ending which we won't spoil but you get the ending and find out who's lived and who's died and and who you've still got on your crew and it does get a bit like yeah emotional at that point yeah so this installment in the series introduced some of my favorite characters out of the entire series so you've got um fane who is the assassin who's a drell assassin um who's like pretty stoic doesn't really say a lot but kicks ass you've got legion the geth so the geth are a sentient race of ai who were created by the race that tali comes from um, they created them as servants. The AI realized that they could, they were conscious, um, and they sort of revolted against their oppressive owners. Um, and so Legion's fantastic in it. Very, very. There is a dry wit to some of his lines. He is um, at first um, doesn't understand what a name is because they're all the same person essentially because they're a hive consciousness. I think he's very similar to. Have you seen the Orville? Yes. The the I can't remember his name, but the robot crew member that's in that is very similar to Legion in in that they sort of don't always get the context of things in terms of how humans would use an expression and and they sort of learn to adapt to it. And like you say, there's a dry humor to it because it's you don't know whether it's the them misunderstanding or them completely getting it and. So, thinking that we're a bit inferior or stupid. And I think it's that level of humour, isn't it, with him? Yeah, definitely. Um, and there is reference to um, stuff like Star Trek with the Borg, so the collective uh, consciousness of a mechanical race sort of thing that all share the same sentience as such. So that's kind of where Legion comes from. And the Salarian, Mordin, who's the uh, Doctor, again doesn't quite get human jokes or human sort of phrasing and stuff like that, but at the same time has quite a balmy sense of humour with it. I think he, he does like um, Pirates of Penzance. He, mm. he essentially does a Solarian version of one of the songs from the Pirates of Penzance. It's called uh, something like the Model Solarian or something like that. Yeah, and it, he yeah. just sings it. And it it's they're quite robotic in the way that they talk so that there's there's no emotional range to it at all but just this weird salarian scientist singing a little song uh, that was based off the parents penzance absolutely brilliant although i didn't use him that much a lot of my memories of the game are from talking to him because you st even if you don't use these people as backup a lot you still have interactions with them don't you when you're on the ship and you can chat to yeah. them and and that's how you find out about their individual trust missions and that kind of thing. And a lot of my memories from Mass Effect 2, even though I didn't take him out with me on many missions, are chatting to him because his dialogue is really well written and it, the character is so fleshed out. Even though you barely interacted with him, you know exactly what he is as soon as you start talking to him. And it just builds every time you talk to him. He says, like you say, something quirky or a bit weird, but it's quite endearing at the same time. So he was... I think I lost him in my first last mission and I was really gutted about it because he was, even though he, he's he's not the best person to take out, is he? his combat, he's, he's quite average on the combat. and But yeah, he's just, he's a brilliant character that's, that's written perfectly into the game. 
And I was quite good when I lost him. So I get that one. I understand what you mean about that one straight away because he is brilliant. And and it is possible, um, as I found out by uh, checking out the endings and stuff like that, the alternative endings, it is possible to entirely mess up that last suicide mission. So essentially you find a mass relay that fires you into collector's space. Um, and if you haven't upgraded your ship, it is perfectly possible to get fired through the mass relay, spawn in the space, and it you, your ship just gets blown to bits. So you don't even get to play the last half hour of the game. You literally go through and they just annihilate you. And you don't even get to play anything. You just <laughs> sit, literally just sit there, watch a cutscene, and just watch yourself die. I didn't even know that was a thing. I know if you lose oh, yeah. everyone in if you lose everyone in the final mission, you die. So you don't actually get an ending at all. But I didn't realise that it was like you could just not have the last part of the game. And that's one of those things that I think upgrading the ship at least you can go back and do it you can go around and collect more money and and upgrade the ship can't you so you can bypass that one that's fixable whereas some of the relationship ones if you make the wrong call that's done that's the end of that and you can't go back and fix it you'd have to go back five or six or seven saves because you've not realized that something you've been working towards has actually been souring a relationship with someone else so it's so well put together and it is a it is a lot of hit and miss. If you want the perfect run, I think you'd almost have to read up on it to make sure you were getting everything in the right places. But that's what's brilliant about it because you play through it as you want to play through it, and then you get the outcome that you deserve from how you've played through. Yeah, um, and I think a lot of games these days have have sort of taken what Mass Effect did in terms of a play it your way. Um, and they've sort of twisted the concept because they now go, oh, yeah, play it your way. And what they mean is you either go in as stealth or you go in all guns blazing. And that's that's not what Mass Effect was intended as. It was a literally play it your way, but know that your choices have a consequence. Yeah, which is what I love about it, because a lot of games give you that faux feeling of choice. And I hate that where it's like, oh, you can pick all these different dialogue options, but they all end up with the same outcome. No matter how you go through a dialogue tree, X, Y, Z will happen. Or And same in some get, oh, make this big cliffhanger A or B decision. But whichever one you pick, something's going to happen and actually it's going to be exactly the same as it was, no matter whether you picked A or B. And I hate that feeling. I'd rather it not give me a choice and it just be linear than give me a choice that ultimately doesn't matter. And I think Mass Effect doesn't do that. Every choice you make in that game affects something to an important degree so it's either at at the bare minimum it's different dialogue and at the other end of it it is literally you have a different character involved in the game than would have been if you'd have picked the other one i think i think the big problem is with the whole uh the the binary choices uh system that a lot of games implement now Mass Effect 1 and 2 were sort of fundamental in the your choices have consequences and stuff like that. And unfortunately, the way that the rest of the gaming industry went is also the way that they went with Mass Effect 3. So Mass Effect 3 was sold to you as a every single choice you have made through Mass Effect 1 and 2 has an impact. It doesn't matter how small, it will have an overall impact in Mass Effect 3 and its ending. And it's not an understatement to say the ending of Mass Effect 3 was worse than that of the 1930s. It just was not well received at all because it essentially took three games worth of pivotal choices and rescuing characters and relationship building and getting to know this universe and broke it down into a you either choose choose blue or you choose red. Unless you got the extended edition version of the ending, in which case you chose blue, red, or a completely separate choice. All of which essentially gave you the same five to ten minute cutscene at the ending of the game. It just changed the colour palette. That was it. Right, so this is something I, I thought we would get onto. So Mass Effect 3, I've played it, I've never finished it because I didn't like the amount of admin in it compared to the second game. So planning the war room and stuff. When I got onto that, there was like 10 screens of text to read through. And I was like, I can't be bothered. There's just I'm just going to click through all this. 
And then I didn't know what I was doing and I sort of drifted away from it and I came back to it a couple of times, but I've never finished it. I've managed to get until this point in my life without knowing what the terrible ending is. And they they sort of, did they retcon it and release a different ending? Or is that the extended edition one you just mentioned? <sighs> they sort of retconned it. So essentially, yeah, you, you get all the way through Mass Effect 3 where you are told that you are you are basically taking the fight to the Reapers because the Reapers at the beginning of Mass Effect 3 essentially come down and take Earth. So the Reapers have been existing for centuries and we've been, uh, we've been okay with them occasionally coming over and nicking planets and stuff like that. But as soon as they take over Earth, that is when humanity <laughs> draws the line and decides to take the fight to them. So the Reapers, massive sentient race of sort of bioorganic crab things that float in space that are the size of a 40-story building, um, absolutely colossal ships. And yeah, so we take the fight to them. So we build, we get all the races together. We, we've decided we've had enough, enough is enough. Um, and we take the fight to them and you break through the front line. You go down onto earth, you battle a load of enemies. You take out a reaper. Um, you then go up into essentially what is a giant spaceship um, that the reapers have taken control of. And you are given in the original version of the game, you're given a very binary choice. You are given a choice of you destroy the Reapers or you sort of accept that you're going to be dominated by them and you just become subservient to the Reapers. And in in the extended version, you are given synthesis as your third choice. So you essentially create an amalgam of yourself and Reapers and, and that is your those are your three choices. And it doesn't make any sense at all. None of it makes sense. It sounds like they just ran out of time. They're like, we've got this huge idea for the ending of it. Oh, we don't have time to implement it, so here you go. You can either you can either win, lose, or something in the middle, and this is your choice on a button press. It, it's either they were... If, if I didn't know better, I'd say they were rushed to, to get the, the ending out. Or they were trying to play it so safe with the endings that they gave that they just came up with something that was just completely bland. Because I think they were trying to appease both sides of an argument, yeah. really. Because in theory, logically, the Reapers are Annihilators. And that would be a very Blake 7 sort of ending where the, the heroes of the story die at the end. But if... if that's still an ending at the end of the day. It's still, yeah. it's, it's a worthy ending to the story if you, you dig in your heels and you give them everything you've got, but it's not enough. And then the cycle starts again. So fair enough. If that's the ending you want to go with, go with that ending. Or we do what humanity always does in most blockbuster films, which is dig in our heels against a vastly superior foe and we win on a technicality. If you're going to do that, do that. Don't try and play it safe and just give us this middleman mush of an ending. It's, 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 Bioware is better than that. I mean, I say yeah. Bioware is better than that, not based on Andromeda. <laughs> See, this is it. I, I've gone this long without knowing, and I thought it must be something terrible. But in actual fact, it's just something meh when the rest of the game yeah. have been so good. So that was the big letdown was... Obviously, not that it was a terrible ending that people hated. It was that it was a nothing ending that people just didn't think lived up to the rest of the series. So that's enlightened me. Let's decide on a rating for Mass Effect 2. So we've got Pokemon that we gave a 7.5 or a 7. I keep forgetting that one. I think we gave it a 7. 7.5, seven 7.5, and seven and I think. 7.5. And, and then Majora's Mask, we went 8.5, I think. Yeah. I need, to, I need to put these on a list in front of me when we do this. So where are we pitching Mass Effect? I mean, it's brilliant, but if somebody asked me what my favourite games were, I don't think it would ever come up, whereas Pokemon probably would, and Zelda definitely would. So I'm leaning towards a 7, to put it at the bottom of the three we've done so far. As good as it is, it just... 
I don't know what it is. that Obviously, the, the third game ruined it a little bit for me. But taking Mass Effect 2 on its own merits, I still don't think I've had as much enjoyment out of it as I have Pokemon, Gold and Silver, or Zelda. So for me, it would be a 7. I wouldn't go any lower than that because it is brilliant. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with the 7. Um, it, it isn't for everybody. Um, and I think that has been the running theme of uh, these <laughs> yeah. 100 ga- so far, the top 100 games to play before you die. It, it, Nothing's for everybody, except pizza. Um, but I think we, yeah. we've picked three very polarizing ones straight away, haven't we? Gold being not the most well received Pokemon. This being for people who can get the full picture of the RPG element of it, and the fact you're going to have to sit and read quite a lot of dialogue. It's not just going to be action, action, action. And then the people who love the RPG side of it also need to get familiar with the cover mechanics and the shooting and the the biotic weapons and that kind of thing so it is not a niche audience but you need to be into those two types of games to to appreciate this one i think so yeah we've picked three polarizing ones i'd put it at the bottom so i think if we go with a seven yeah yeah because like you say it if you're in it for for it being a shooter you're going to be disappointed by all the rpg mechanics getting in the way if you're in it for an RPG, you're going to be really disappointed with all the shootery stuff getting in the mm. way. And if you're in it from a purely story perspective, you're going to be disappointed because you have to do a lot of digging. It's not given yeah. to you. It, they, they coin it a space opera, I think, as the series. So it's like a soap opera in space. Um, but soap operas have the added advantage of they give you quite a lot of the stuff uh, up front whereas this you have to dig a lot yeah to get some of the information out of it um so yeah i think if you're coming from any three of those backgrounds you're going to be disappointed with it really and you're going to struggle to get into it but if you like all three you're probably going to oh, love yeah. it it's probably going to be your favorite game so i didn't expect us to get an hour out of mass effect 2 if i'm honest no but we've done it and we've not even talked about like some of the the subspecies, like those little mole fellas that just complain about everything. The ones that have like the gas masks on and stuff. There are there's so much effort gone into it, even in just the background characters that you walk past and hear complaining. And I feel a bit tight giving it a seven now, but it because it is brilliant. But I just it doesn't sit as high up in maybe it's a nostalgia thing because I played it later in life but it doesn't sit up there with Zelda and Pokemon for me. So I think we've got to put it bottom at the minute. We've even run out of time to talk about Atomic Heart, which I forced myself to play this week so that we could discuss it. But if if ever there was a better cliffhanger to leave people on, and I'm sure there are millions, uh, but we'll leave, that, we'll leave that one up there for you. Next episode, we will talk about Atomic Heart and what we think about that. We know what we're looking at for next week's episode. And if we did get an hour out of it, I would be absolutely astounded. So there should be plenty of time in the next one. But for this week's and Mass Effect 2, I think we've done all we can. So I'll say goodbye from me. And goodbye from me.